And when it says it makes me want to shout, that's yes. your cue to shout. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so that's how that's supposed to happen, right? It's not like it makes me want to shout. And you'd be like, hallelujah. No, 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 no. Like when that's when they say that, right? It makes me want to shout. Like something should come up inside of you that says, it makes me want to shout. How good he's been. How he picked you up. How he turned you around. How he made you to stand on solid ground. Amen. It's not because the music is right. It's not because of all that. I mean, that's good, but it's because of the one you're shouting to, right? That, that, that highest praise is what he's saying. The highest praise is hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> hallelujah. Hey, y'all, y'all know why I didn't come up. Because I'm ready to just keep going in, glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. See, this is, I think this is what, week three that I'm not up here, so I'm just excited just to be there to worship, glory to God. I forgot I had to preach. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome at this moment. And if you would, if you're in here, then you will open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. These men did a great job today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First Samuel chapter one. Old Testament. Week old. Amen. First Samuel chapter one, when you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, says, now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. I'm sorry, this is second Samuel. I'm in second Samuel. Glory to God. Hey, we, we were moving to another, another dimension. I'm like, hold up. That don't sound right. Glory to God. First Samuel. Here we go. Let's try that again. I say so. Amen. I got it now. Now there was a certain man, there we go, of Ramathames of Ephim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of, Je of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, with um, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? 
Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? There's such a sensitive man here. Because <laughs> we are known for sensitivity, right? <laughs> See, I love the word of God because it's true, right? It ain't like try to fix it up. It's just it is what it is, right? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. She probably threw something at him prior to that and was like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> the Lord covered her for that. He's like, you know. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli, another sensitive one. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaints and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your presence that is tangible and real and in this place. And Lord, we just honor you today because you remind us of your goodness, your grace, and your kindness toward us. Lord, we thank you for your word that is living and active. And we just pray that it would divide today, Lord God. We pray that it would cut asunder of our soul and spirit. I pray that it would do a work in us today. I pray that you would use me in these next few moments, and I pray that you would be glorified, Lord God, in the preaching of your word. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters that we would not be idle hearers, but that we would be faithful respondents and doers of your word. May you give us the faith to respond to you. We give you all praise and glory, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, will you just raise your hand, please? If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Just keep it up so we can get you one. I want to make sure that the ushers um, get, see your hand, so keep it up there. And um, as always, every week, we, I, I remind you, the reason why these outlines are so important and so good is because, not because I wrote part of it, it is not that reason, it is because it allows you to follow along with the preaching. Um, I think that that's very important. Secondly, it allows you to answer some questions like, what do you feel the Lord was speaking to you? It allows you to be able to meditate on that, allows you to write some notes, so that's very good as well. And the other thing is it also gives you the ability to utilize what you are learning to help make disciples of others. And so my hope is that you do utilize these outlines for the glory of God and for your edification. And so continuing on um, here today, we're not going to continue on in our series. Next week we'll finish that up. But today I wanted to take a moment and pause and, and, re and recognize and just, you know, thank the moms for being amazing. Can we give these moms another hand? 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm extremely, I'm a blessed man. I have, um, first of all, my biological mother is here, glory to God. My, my biological grandmother is here, glory to God. That's an awesome thing, right, to have here. I have a, an amazing mother-in-law. I have an amazing wife. I'm just surrounded by amazing women, amen? I just hope that I'm not like Elkanah, you know, and Eli that are just insensitive, right? Glory to God. So ultimately, I just, I appreciate the women of God. I'm a, I'm a product here today because of a mother who prayed and a grandmother who always, and I'm sure she'll remember this, and I, I know that she was probably sick of this story, um, but, you know, I remember sitting down as a, as a child and she would, you know, read the Bible to me. Um, at that time, none of, you know, my family were not Christian except for her, and she would ask me, what, what's, you know, what did I want to read? And every time I was like the same thing. Um, David and Goliath. Amen. And so I was always asking her to read that story, and she would read it to me, you know, as many times as I can remember. And so I appreciate that because that's always been, you know, something that stuck with me. And I thank God because it was part of the foundation of who I am. And so I honor my mom, my grandmother, and I thank them for, you know, being here today. Amen. Glory to God. And so I'm standing here today because of them. Somebody told my mom you did a good job. She did. Amen. Glory to God. And so we're looking here at this story, and as we celebrate in your outline here, as we celebrate the woman, the women God has chosen to be mothers, be it biological, adoptively, or spiritually, it's important that we look to the scriptures to see the type of mothers God is raising up in this hour. And so I wanted to take a moment as we're considering mothers and Mother's Day and to just speak to the moms, you know, speak to the women that are moms, to the women that are grandmothers, the women that are maybe going to be mothers or desiring to be mothers. You know, I want to speak to that today. And I want us to consider a few things as we look at some backgrounds, look at your outline. Um, 1 Samuel is written when Israel is a, in, a, in a very low point spiritually. Here's a few things here. First of all, the priesthood was corrupted. So in other words, the leadership in the church, there were some issues going on there. The Ark of the Covenant was not in, and it says is there, but was not in the tabernacle. And so the glory of God was, or what was symbolic of the glory of God, was not in the place that it should have been. Idolatry was practiced. And so, in other words, instead of the people of Israel worshiping the one true God, they were worshiping idols. It was something that was practiced within the land. And then the judges were dishonest. And so if we think about this, all of the stuff that I just said, Said here, it sounds a lot like our days today, doesn't it? The days are no different. The days have always been wicked. You want to know why? Because men have always been sinful. And the reality is that it happens, you know, and, and, and if you read Israel's history, the, the United States of America, we are not Israel. I want you to understand this. We are not Israel. Amen. You need, you need, you need to get that, okay? Because America is not um, God's chosen land. Hello, somebody. Okay? Now, we may have been built on principles of Scripture that we were. We may have been built upon principles that we find in the theocracy of God in the Old Testament, which is when God, theocracy meaning God rule, and, and, and the way that Israel was supposed to be built was that God was their king. They were governed by elders and Levites, and so those were their politicians, and that's how they were supposed to be led. And so we were built upon those principles there, but nonetheless, we are not the land, you know, God's chosen land. Hello. But, but, but what, we, what we see here is that we live in a day when there is this idolatry that is present. There is corruption in leadership in the church, outside of the church. It is a serious situation. And the reason why I chose this, this, this particular story to, to remind us is because I believe like this, last paragraph here, mothers must see the, the, the role God has given them as vital to the destiny of our children, the fruitfulness of our churches, and the future of our nation. Are you hearing me? 
Now listen, moms, I, I want you to know something. I value men, I mean, in, in, immensely, more and more. And what I mean by this is that, man, I, I want men to know, listen, you are valuable. Father's Day, I hope to pump you up and build you up and let you know how awesome I think you are by the grace of God. This is a reality. I don't ever want to downplay men, you know, in any way, shape, or form. But today's Mother's Day. And so I want to speak to the mom because I want you to realize something, that here's the flip side of this token. And it is that many times in the church we get a bad rap for not valuing women the way that we ought to, the way that the Bible does, and the way that the scriptures communicate. And here's what I want you to understand, ladies, is that you may not even like some of the things the Bible says to women, and that's just, it is what it is. Men sometimes don't like the things that the Bible says to men. Hello. Just is what it is. It's just a reality. But what I want you to get is this, is that you as a mother, you have been given a vital role in the destiny of your child, in the fruitfulness of the church, and in the future of our nation. If you will take seriously the call of God that God has put on your life, you can do something to shape the next generation. And that really is the big idea. And it is this, is that faith-filled mothers are vital in molding the next generation. Faith-filled mothers are vital in molding the next generation. And listen, we have different, you know, moms in different scenarios. Some moms that are that are stay-at-home moms, and they and, and they are homemakers. And they and I want you to know, just just in case you thought that that was an easy job, no, no, no. Amen. Now, some people, they, they think, you know, hey, man, I go out there and I work and I sweat and I do all this and, you know, you stay home, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't be tired. Hello. Mm-hmm. It's not true, right? But the reality is there's other moms in here, you know, you work outside of the home and you're doing a great job. And I praise God because I stand beside one of those mothers that works outside of the home, puts in lots of hours, and it is an amazing homemaker. Amen. And so we live in that time, but what, I, but we, what we need to realize is regardless of the situation, that you are vital in molding the next generation. And so there's a few things that I want to point out in this, in, in this scripture, in these scriptures here, in, in, in the life of Hannah and in the life of Samuel, and mostly about Hannah is what I want to focus on today. And so there's a few things, and the first thing I want to, I want to point out is this, and say this with me, faith-filled mothers, faith-filled mothers. Value, life value life as God intends. And this will be probably the most unpolitically correct part of my sermon, and I'm okay with that. But the truth of the matter is, we live in a day, we live in an age where life is not valued. We live in a culture where life is not valued. I want you to realize in this scenario here, Hannah was so broken over the fact that she could not have a child that she bartered with God. She was so broken that she couldn't have a baby that she was in anguish of soul to the point that she was crying out to God and that she was like, God, please give me a child. And she was like, look, I just want a child. She's like, I I won't even keep this child. If you'll give me a male child, I'll give him back to you. I just want to give birth. That was the cry of this woman. And so listen, here's what I want you to know. I I am sensitive to the reality because I I know this. You know, there there, there are people in here that have probably had abortions. There's people in here that have probably experienced that. And listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me? So this is not to condemn anyone who is trying to walk with Jesus because you know it's something that I know for certain because in my own life there are sins that I've committed in the past that even though I know the grace of God, I still mourn those. 
There's things that I've done in my past that I just can't get over that when I think about them, I just, I have to put my head down. I have to, I just feel shameful. You know what? I shouldn't feel shameful because of what? Because Jesus forgave me for that sin. And what I want you to know is that if you're in here and you did, you know, you had something like that, there is forgiveness. God forgave you the moment you confessed it. Don't walk in condemnation because of that. But, what the, but the reason why this becomes so important for us is because what we need in our culture, listen to me, ladies, we need women to raise their voice on this topic. Oh, I can't get an amen. We need women to raise their voice on this topic. Why? Because guys ain't got nothing to say about that because it ain't their body. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. You don't want to hear that. I told you it's going to be politically incorrect, and I'm okay with that. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God, look, God gives us laws in his word, and he communicates certain things to us, and we have a choice. We can either embrace what God says or reject it. That's on you, and that's on me. We have to make that decision. But what we find in this woman, Hannah, is that she was not walking around. You know, she, was, she, was, she, had, a, she had a person named Panina who was doing what? Was vexing her. She was, she was making fun of her. She was making her feel terrible. And this woman was like, man, no light. Because th these women understood that this was something that God gave. I want you to just notice something really quickly. I just want you to turn to these scriptures with me real fast. Genesis chapter 33 and verse 5. I want you to turn there because I want you to understand why this whole issue of life becomes so very important for us. Genesis 33 and verse 5. <clears throat> and you can hold your place in 1 Samuel if you didn't already lose it, but um, Genesis 33 and verse 5. <clears throat> And this, this, is, this is Jacob. Y'all know Jacob. He left for a while. You know, he went away, you know, because he was going to get killed by his brother because he was, you know, crazy. And, you know, he did. He listened to his mom. I was going to preach about her, but I didn't do that today. But his mama was trying to, trying to secure the blessing that she knew was his. And so we got to give her cred for that. Amen. Even though it seemed crazy, you know, God sometimes allows the things that he hates to bring about what he desires. That's, that's how it is, right? And so in this scenario here, we have Jacob is returning. And when Jacob is returning, he sees his brother Esau in verse 5, and look what it says. And he says, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, this is Esau, his brother, speaking, and said, who are these with you? So he, this is Jacob, replying, said, the children whom God, say God, God. has graciously given, say given, given, your servant. So the first thing I want you to get is that what we see here is where do, where, where do children come from? They come from God. So someone needs to speak up and say that. I'm just saying. Like someone needs to say, hold on a second. It's not your prerogative. It's not your right. It is, it is what? It is God who has given you this, and we need to explain that and communicate that. We need to be the salt in the midst of these topics. But it, I don't want to just stop there. Go to chapter 48 in the book of Genesis. I want you to see again, just to see it reiterated and pointed out one more time. 48 and verse 9. And this here is Jacob. Again, this is Jacob, but it's a different scenario. He's coming to Egypt. He's speaking to his son, Joseph. And then he says to him, and in verse 8, we'll go there. He says, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them here and I will bless them. So it's amazing because he doesn't go to point out um, that, you know, these are their names. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, that, that isn't what he does initially. He says to them, these are the children that God has given me. 
So we, we need to value that, I, I would say. And then turn with me to, to the book of Isaiah. And this will be the last one that we look at, and we'll continue on looking at 1 Samuel. But the book of Isaiah tells us something as well, chapter 8 in Isaiah. And the reason why I'm going over these scriptures is because I want you to know that this is not just some right-wing issue. This is a biblical issue. This is not just some political, you know, Republican Party deal. That, that, that's, that's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of mess. This, this should have nothing to do with the Republicans, Democrats. This should have nothing to do with politics. You know why it's an issue? Because somebody made it an issue and made it, made it political. Hello. This is a life issue. You know, when we look at, see, pastors are cowards today because they won't speak about this stuff. And I'm not saying that I'm the great non-coward. Hello. It's not what I'm saying here. What, I, what I'm saying is we don't talk about this stuff. And so nobody in our churches even knows what the Bible says about things because we're unwilling to communicate the truth of Scripture. And so Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18, and Isaiah says this. He says, here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And so what I want you to realize is that all of these Scriptures here confirm for us something. And it is that God is the one who gives life. And we should stand with God on that topic as Christians, male and female, right? And what we should do is instead of, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I know some of y'all are going to hate this, but it's okay. Again, I'll be, I'm all right with that. But what we should do is we should teach our daughters, we should teach the women in our culture that where they should control their bodies, and this is going to be real offensive, is to keep their legs closed, and that way we don't end up pregnant, I'm not talking about those that are raped. I'm not talking, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about those who experienced that brutality of someone being selfish and dominant. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way we just give a license to, hey, just go ahead and do what you want to do. And then, you know what? You wake up and you, you know, you find out you're pregnant. Just go to the doctor, have that removed. You don't have to deal with that. It's not God's heart. Okay, but that's our culture. But see, let me tell you something. It doesn't just end there with the 50,000 babies we murder every year. That isn't where it ends. It's a staggering number, but that isn't where it ends. Check this out. Do this. Take my son with you, and I tell you to take my son. I'm going to tell you why. Take my son with you because he's noisy, he's loud. Take him with you to a restaurant and see how many people look at you funny. See, because our culture is becoming anti-children. We have beaches, right? It's supposed to be a place for, you know, children, families. We have beaches that at least part of them are designated to no kids. This is a reality. Because that's where our culture is when it comes to children, when it comes to this life that God entrusts us with. I mean, if you think about, you know, those things, I mean, that's, that, that's, just, that's just crazy. Look at weddings. Look at, the, look, look at the next wedding that you get invited to. Most of them are going to tell you, no children, please. Why? Because they make too much noise. They're going to distract during the sermon or something like that. I don't know. I, I listen, and I, I'm guilty. Hello, guilty as charged. And our wedding, we didn't have any children at our wedding, but that, except for the, you know, flower girl and all that stuff. And the ring bearer, because they're the only ones that are exempt from that because they're serving us. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, when, when, before, before we started Faith Dome, we were at a large church for three weeks. We were there, and we would sit, like, you know, in the third row, because I don't like sitting in the back, you know. I like sitting closer to the front. I, like to, I don't like to look at people and, you know, see what they're doing. I could care less. I want to worship Jesus. About the third week in, one of the ushers comes up to us that we had Alexis at that time. She was like, you know, a year old. And he says, hey, um, we need you to do a favor. Do us a favor. Do you think you can move back like five rows because there's microphones that are over you and it's going to mess up the recording? So we don't want our kids at our wedding so they're not able to celebrate marriage. 
They don't get to understand that this is a community thing and they should celebrate that because they're excluded from it. In church, listen, I'm okay if people keep their kids in the sanctuary. It's all right. And if they get loud, listen, just don't look at them. Just pay attention to me. Hello. Right? I'll get loud anyway. I'll just get louder than them. That's all. It's all right. I got the mic. I can do that, right? Raise it up on them. And, you know, we provide children's church and, you know, want to have that kind of experience. But here's the deal. We become anti-children, so we need to have the right mindset. Let me say one last thing here. I, I wrote it down, so I'm going to say it. I know it's, you know, some things y'all don't, maybe don't want to hear. Large families are almost unheard of. In many, listen to me now, it, get, it gets better, I, I think so. In many circles, when you have a large family, it is seen as irresponsible, abnormal, or even unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Pastor Chad wanted to come and tackle me right now because I just said this. He's like, Bishop, let him know, glory to God. Start popping out babies. Listen, I've sat in, right? Y'all start having children, glory to God. Just make it happen. You know, the thing is this, right? You know, the, the, we, 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 don't, we don't celebrate life. We don't. We don't. Someone decides, you know, and, and listen, I, you know, I'm not going to get into all of the comments that we make, but here's the deal. The reality is I want you to know it is biblical to have children and many. If possible. I'm not saying there's a number, like you gotta have five kids, you gotta have 10 kids, you gotta have 20 kids, you gotta have like 16, I don't know. I don't listen. I'm not even gonna tell you how to deal with the topic of birth control, that's another topic, that's another day, not for today. But here's what I want you to understand. What I want you to understand, and I sit down in premarital counseling. I can't tell you how many times I've been in premarital counseling, and people are shocked when we go through our little book and we start talking about having kids, and I'm like, the Bible says be fruitful and multiply, and that still applies today. Now, God is not asking my family to replenish the earth, amen? Right? Like, like, I don't believe that that's applicable, right? Like, God's not asking me to fill all of Florida with children. But let me tell you something, all right? Let me, let me, let me explain something to you. I want you to know from a religious standpoint why large families in the Christian community are so important. Because you want to know what Muslim families are doing? They're having tons and tons of children, and they're raising them in Islam. And guess what? By the time your kids and my kids are 20 years old, they're going to be outnumbered by 20-year-olds who are Muslims in our nation. You know why? Because we think, hey, two kids is way too much. Hello. I'm just saying. I'm talking about valuing life from a biblical place. From a biblical place, valuing life. That's what a mother of faith does or a faith-filled mother does. Here's what I want you to get. To value life is to believe. This is what I mean by this. Okay, this is the heart of this. Write down Psalm 127, verses 3 through 4. You don't have to turn there, but you know this. To value life is to believe what Psalm 127, 3 through 4 says. It says this. It says that children are an inheritance or a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. To, to value life is to believe that and not to see children as a burden that need to be accounted for. In other words, you know, they're just, man, it just costs too much. All these different things that we have here. Listen, we need to have the right heart. We need to have the right mindset. We need to see what the scriptures say, and we as Christians need to embrace that. And moms, I'm just saying, faith-filled moms value life. And so I pray that you're encouraged by that to step up and not be afraid to talk to the culture. And when I say to talk to the culture, look, man, you know how to go get on some big old bullhorn. Man, be faithful right where you're at. 
When someone has a conversation with you and they're talking about something that is anti-biblical, and I don't care, listen to me when I say this, I don't care if they call themselves Mr. or Mrs. Christian and they think that they got some biblical place, know this, the right position is the one that I just shared from the scripture because that's not my position, that's not some religious community's position, that is God's position on life. That's why we stand, we stand opposed to anyone who doesn't believe what the scriptures say. And listen, if they're not a Christian, you ain't got to beat them over the head. You need to lovingly show them this is what God communicates. But don't not communicate what God communicates because they don't want to hear it. Are you hearing me? I'm just saying. Second thing, I ask you to say this. Faith-filled mothers, trust God despite their circumstances. Faith-filled mothers trust God despite their circumstances. Look at verses 9 through 18 in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. It says here, I just want you to just look back at this. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And so this woman, she was hurting. She had been ridiculed for, and we don't even know how long she'd been ridiculed. We just know that she had been ridiculed year after year after year. Every time they went up to offer sacrifices, Panina was in her face like, look at my babies. Letting her know, Psh, you ain't nothing. You know, you know, you know what it gets believed, right? Because you're looking at this and some of you probably were like, well, see, see, Bishop, polygamy is biblical now. Nowhere does the Bible approve polygamy. What is believed is the reason why, and, the, and you'll notice he talks about Hannah, talks about Panina. What they believe is that Hannah was, was Elkanah's first wife. And because she couldn't have children, that's the reason why Panina got into the picture. And she was there because the scripture says what? It says he loved Hannah. Panina was popping out them babies, but it didn't say he loved her. I'm just saying, it's just, it's just, it's just, it just is what it is. Right? She was a baby machine, like, boom, bam, boom. What's up? I'm pregnant. Like, she was just, Hannah was like, man, can I get a break? Right? So the thing is, this woman is there, bitter, anguish. I mean, just put, I mean, I mean you put yourself in that position. Imagine, you know, being married to your husband, loving your husband, your husband loving you, and you sit down and you're talking about all these kids you're going to have and all these plans, and then a year later, two years later, and then finally got to bring somebody else in so they can do what you can't do. Imagine how distressing that must have been for her. And so she's overwhelmed by this, and she begins to pray and cry out to the Lord, verse 10. And it says, and she was in, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 11. It says, and then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, because she knows what? That there is hope in God. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord and all the, day, all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And so what does she do? She says, God, I will, I will, I will give birth to a Nazarite for you. I will give birth to one that is separated to you. That's what she was saying. She's talking about no hair. She's talking about this Nazarite pledge. Samuel and Samson were the two that were Nazarites from birth that we see in the Old Testament. And it was a vow that you weren't going to cut your hair, that you weren't going to, you know, have any wine or anything like that. You weren't going to touch anything unclean. And so here, Hannah says, look, I'll, I'll give you one of those. I'll give you a true minister. You just give me a son. And so 
She trusted him. And in verse 12, it goes on to say, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. And what she does when Eli comes to her, she's like, look, I don't want this 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 conversation with me and God to be canceled out by this priest saying I'm wicked so I need to clarify what's going on again she's showing her trust in God making sure that 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 the right communication is occurring and then Eli says then Eli answered and said go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him, and he and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And I love this part. It says, so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. See, faith-filled mothers trust God despite their circumstances. Hannah shows us an immense level of trust in God's ability in the face of impossibility. She shows how much she trusts God when she says, you know, God, I'm coming to you in anguish of soul, but I'm believing that you are able to do a miracle. See, here's what I want you to get. Look, and and this is something that's important. We must realize that barrenness or unfruitfulness isn't the end of the story with God. You see, this doesn't just apply to a woman who can't have a child. This applies to our life as we are trying to serve God and be fruitful in areas of our lives. I don't want you to go to sleep if you're not a mom in this place. I want you to realize that there's sometimes, man, we're trying to do everything we can to be fruitful, to bear fruit, to bring about the purpose of God in our life, and we are not seeing it. And that becomes frustrating. That becomes overwhelming. But what I want you to realize is that God gives us an example in the scriptures of someone who was unfruitful, who was unable to make herself have children no matter what Elkanah gave her she couldn't have babies but she cried out to God and said God I believe that this is not the end of the story and it's probably because she knew about some other woman by the name of Rachel she knew about another woman by the name of Rebecca who were both what barren they were unable to have children and God miraculously did what he turned the situation around and allowed them to become pregnant and bear children for the glory and honor of his name and she said look I don't want to be exempt from that I'm believing that you are that same God. And so she shows us how we trust God. Our faith in God is tested the most in the midst of hardship. Why? Because God's character is put on trial. God's ability is questioned and God's reasoning is suspect during these moments. Yet Hannah poured out her soul to the Lord in response to her circumstance. And so my encouragement for the moms in this place, for the men in this place, for all of us in this place, no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what our situation is, you can cry out to your God in faith and put your trust in him that he is going to work out his will in your life and he's not going to leave you just to be over there like you don't matter. That is what is important for us to realize. And and, and moms, hear me when I say this. We need moms, we need mothers who hold on to God's promises, who hope in God's character, and who know how to travail in prayer until they birth God's promises, especially with regard to their children. Let me say that one more time. We need mothers who hold on to God's promises, who hope in God's character, and who know how to travail in prayer until they birth God's promises, especially with regard to their children. The reason why I said I love the ending of verse 18 is because her face changed. Because in her spirit and in her soul, she knew she had received an answer from the Lord. 
She wasn't waiting for, you know, her, her belly to start growing. That wasn't it. She wasn't waiting until she saw the reality of what it was she had asked God for. She knew in her soul because something changed in her. She was a, a woman who was in bitter distress and something changed inside of her. And what I want you to realize is, moms, and look, I told you that I'm a product, right, of, 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 a, of, of a mother. I'm a product of, of, of a mother who held on to God's promises. She began to cry out for me. She began to pray for her son. She began to hold on to God's promises. She's doing that for, you know, others in our family. She's believing. She's holding on. She's not just, you know, saying, hey, God, save Jason. She knew how I was living. It's going to take a little bit more than save Jason. Hello. It's going to take a little bit more desperation than that, right? I mean, my grandmother had been praying for years, and, you know, so these women are unifying in prayer, believing God, and, and trusting God. But they held on to God's promises. They hoped in God's character because they knew that God is a good God. Despite what your situation may seem, despite your circumstance, God is a good God. He is a gracious, loving, and kind God. And what he wants to do is he wants us to hold on to his promises, to hope in his character and then when I say travail listen this woman is someone who's an example of travailing she was in such anguish of soul the words couldn't come out of her mouth her soul was so overwhelmed that she could only lip she could only move her lips but the words weren't coming out that's what it means to travail and now listen I have not you know and no man in this place will ever know the wonder of carrying a baby nor will we ever know the agony of pushing that child out. Amen, Jesus. I'm grateful for that. I'm sorry for the ladies. I told y'all, y'all could jump Eve when you go to heaven. Just be like, this is the last sinful act we're going to do. We're going to give someone a beat down, and then we're going to glory and worship the Lord. Amen. Y'all won't even remember her when you go up there, but at any rate, it felt good to think, to envision that, right? Like, yo, beating her down, like, what's wrong with you, woman? Y'all probably gonna kick Adam, too, and be like, why didn't you stop her? What is wrong with you, right? Just jump them both. But nonetheless, right, <laughs> what I did have the privilege of doing was being in the delivery room. And I told y'all this before. I didn't cry. I mean, I've said this a long time ago, so some of you probably never even heard it. But when I was in the delivery room with my wife, I didn't, I didn't cry when I saw my daughter, right? I mean, I was very happy when I saw my daughter. I love my daughter to death. I cried. When I, when I cried, and I don't know, man, you know, I, and I, 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 I want to say that I'm not trying to blow myself up because I'm, I'm terrible, all right? I'm not, a, I'm not great in any way, shape, or form. But there is some connection that is some, that's something divine when my wife cries, like, I cry. Like, I, like, when she's crying, I don't want her to look at me because if she looks at me, then I start crying, right? And y'all know I don't cry a lot. Like, I'm not that way. But, you know, she starts crying, it just happens. And when my wife was pushing Alexis, listen, there was some anguish going on up in that room. And I, and, and I think it was her second push. I mean, I just felt this thing in my throat. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And so, you know, I was overwhelmed by that, like, that anguish. And now, I don't feel that pain, right? I just felt the emotional, like, because it was with all of her heart, and she's pushing, and I know my wife's in pain. I don't want to see her in that kind of pain. And so, ultimately, what I'm saying is, I watched my wife, you know, the, the nurse told her, okay, when you push, you know, so many ladies can attest to this, you know, she's like, you know, don't go, right? Right? My wife's pushing Alexis, and at one point she was like, I was like, babe, no, you gotta, and she was like, shut up. I was like, 
Babe, I'm telling you what the nurse said. We want this daughter to come out, glory to God. You're like holding it all right here. Let it out, glory to God. Because I, so, I was so sensitive like Elkanah and Eli. I was like, babe, hold that. But anyway, <laughs> the thing was, the, the nurse is like, you push like this. And, you know, I watched my wife go through this pushing. I watched her push, and I watched her go through this pain and this agony. And you want to know what? There was, there, there's moments, and I'm sure you ladies can attest, there's sometimes you're like, I can't push no more. Some of you had long labors, and you're like, I'm not pu- I cannot push anymore. Pull this thing out. Hello. Right? But you know what? They can't. You got to push. Hello, somebody. And what I'm saying is the anguish that was there in that birthing room needs to be something. And, ladies, I'm telling you that the same way that you push for those babies to come out, you need to pray that same way for their destiny. You need to pray with that intensity. With that. You need to become overwhelmed in your soul for your sons and your daughters and know that God has given you something. That listen, I'll never be able to know that. Now, as a man, I can know how to pray until something happens. And I know how to push in, you know, with agony and with, you know, because I'm loud and long. That's what I, you know, when I pray, like I'm praying, like that's how it happens. But what I'm saying is with the women of God in this place, God has given you that ability. And so embrace that, you know. I know you want to beat Eve up, but here embrace the pain of childbirth and say, God, help me to be that way over my children's destiny. Help me to be that way over the lives of my sons and my daughters. Third thing here, and I'm getting ready to close with this, faith-filled mothers raise God's ministers. Say that with me. Faith-filled mothers raise God's ministers. Faith-filled mothers raise God's ministers. Look at verse 11 real quick. Chapter 1, verse 11. She prayed here. We already looked at that. We won't read it again. But she prayed here in verse 11 for what? For a son, but she prayed for a minister. That's what she did. In verse 21 through 28, look at what it says here, chapter 1. It says, Now the man Elkanah and all the house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And look at chapter 2, verse 18 to 21. It says here, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year after year or year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Elkanah would bless, and, and, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own house. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. See, faith-filled mothers raise God's ministers. 
Now, I want you to notice something. Just look, look back real quick. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I want you to see this here. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved her. Look at this part of the verse. Although the Lord, say the Lord, had closed her womb. And her, and her rival also provoked her be, severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I want, you to, I, I want you to think for a moment because sometimes we just read over stuff and we just kind of ignore it, right? But that would, that, that's kind of one of those things that bothers me, like, you know, thinking like, why would the Lord close her womb? First of all, what they understood is that it, Lord, the Lord is the one, he doesn't, he, he doesn't just give life, he's the one who stops it as well, right? He, he decides that. And so they understood that, and so it, give, it gives pause, like, to sit back and think. But what I want you to realize is this, is that when you think about it, and I, I thought about this, the only reason I could see that God closed her womb was to bring about a greater purpose. Hear me when I say this. Her closed womb opened her heart to bring forth not just a son, but a faithful priest, a prophet, and a judge who would replace the corrupt leadership in Israel. See, because at this time, these sons, you know, um, Hophni and Phinehas, right, is that, you know, these guys, they were sleeping with women at the door of the church. Literally. It wasn't like they were in a back room somewhere. Like, they were right there. They were doing their thing. I mean, these guys were foul. And these were the sons of Eli. And Eli didn't deal with them the way that he was supposed to. He should have kicked his sons out and been like, look, y'all cannot be up in here doing this. They were taking meat before they were supposed to take it. I mean, these guys were horrible when it came to that. And you know what? God saw this corruption, and God needed a prophet. And so you know what? Sovereignly, God closed this woman's womb. And this woman, in the anguish of her soul, she cried out to God, and she did what? She said, God, I'll give you a minister. And what she did was she provided for God what God wanted from her. God obviously provides it through her. But I want you to notice, Hannah raised the minister. How does she do that? Well, there's three things that I see here. Number one, she weaned him. Number two, she released him. Number three, she encouraged him. Now, the first thing she does is she weans her son. The next thing she does, she releases him. And the last thing she does continuously all the days of her life is she does what? Every time she comes up to the temple, she encourages him. And that way he's not feeling like he's been abandoned in any way, shape, or form. You see, while you and I may never do what Hannah did exactly, the principles should be followed to raising ministers unto the Lord. And so here's the thing. The first thing is you got to wean your kids. Hello, somebody. Weaning your kids meaning, means bringing your kids to the place where they can fend for themselves. Glory to God. Listen, every, 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 you know, everyone you know, has their different ideas when it comes to parenting, but the one thing you want to make sure you do is that you raise kids that know how to take care of themselves. You know, my son, praise the Lord, y'all pray for me. We're, we're trying to teach him to fend for himself, like to feed himself, glory to God. My son didn't even like to bite. I don't know, he's a, he's a man. I mean, seriously, the other day, I'm at my grandmother's house. We're sitting down doing something, you know, feeding him a hamburger. And the home, homeboy is like, seriously, he is standing there looking at the burger, and he's like, and I'm like, eat it. This is what he does. It's because he doesn't want to touch the burger. Like, I'm like, boy, grab that burger and eat that junk. But anyway, you know, y'all, so y'all pray for me on that topic because we're trying to wean him, glory to God. Trying to get him to that point, right? And so, you know, ultimately you want to get your kids to that place, you know, because that's what she did. And here's what I want you to realize. What I want you to realize, I, I want you to see this picture. And I was going to actually have my wife get Josiah because Josiah was about the age of Samuel. Or Samuel was about the age of Josiah when his mom brought him to the temple. He's about three years old. Well, that got real there, huh? You were like, yeah, she brought him maybe when he was eight. Maybe that, no, no, no. Once he was weaned, they only breastfed until they were about, you know, two years old. 
So he's about three years old, and she's bringing him to the temple. So just imagine, ladies, you walking in with your three-year-old, handing him to Bishop, and saying, here you go. <laughs> Glory to God. That would be tough. But that's what she did. She weaned him. She made him able to fend for himself. Boom, that was her first step. The second thing she does is she released him. And what I want you to realize is, again, I'm not talking about releasing your kids. Just be like, okay, you're three years old. Go out there into the jungle and, like, do something. And like, I'm not talking about that, right? Like, go out and get your own house and get a job. That's not what I'm saying here, okay? That isn't what occurred. Obviously, Eli had two sons already. You know, he had some children. And so it wasn't like, you know, he, she was putting him in this family, all right, to be a minister, but I want you to realize is that releasing our children to God's purpose for them must be born in prayer. And let me pause when I say that. Because what I want you to realize is that for all of us, and I'm going to repeat this at the end here in a moment, but what I want you to understand is that we as parents, moms, you should want your kids to be more than successful but fruitful. You know, I, I know like we have, we have aspirations like we want our kids to be doctors and lawyers and whatever else it is that you want them to be. But how many of us are like yearning for our son to be preachers? How many of us are like crying out and saying, God, you know, because look, I, I made a vow to God. Like I'm never going to make my kids be something that I want them to be. But you know what I will do? I will pray to God that he will turn their hearts to be what he wants them to be. And I, and I believe as parents, hear me when I say this. I believe that when we, you know, we joked about, you know, Rachel, you know, and what she did when she, you know, told Jacob to put this fur on and all this kind of stuff. You know, the reason why she did that was because when she was pregnant, there was a prophetic word that came over her. And she knew that the older was supposed to serve the younger. That was just a reality. And she was doing whatever she could to bring to pass God's will. That's what she was doing. I'm not telling you to be dishonest to bring, to bring about God's will. It's not what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to justify what she did. I'm simply saying that's what it was. And so for me, when I talk about moms praying for their sons, praying for their daughters, I'm talking about you coming to that place where you get in with God and you let God speak to you because I believe that the most prophetic voice over your children's lives are you. Not the pastor, not the bishop, not the connect leader, not the most spiritual person in your life. You are that prophetic voice over their life. And you need to be that one that gets in with God and hears from God, this son of mine, this daughter of mine is this, and I'm going to pray them into that position. That's what it means to release them into God's will. And then the third thing is encouraging our children to serve is done in our example. I want you to notice where the encouragement came. It came every year, and I'm really closing right now for real, seriously, all jokes aside. The encouragement came. The encouragement came when they came to the temple to worship. Every time they came to the temple to worship, they did what? She brought him this thing that she sowed for him. And it was to encourage him and say, son, I love you. God's called you to do something. And that's why you're here. It's not because I don't love you. But she encouraged him because they came to worship God always, but she always brought him something personal to let him know she was there to encourage him. She supported him. And that's what she did. And so for us, if we're going to raise them up, mothers, if you're going to help raise your children into the things of God, you got to wean them, you got to release them, and you got to encourage them continuously. Faith-filled mothers actively and intentionally participate in the raising up of ministers in their children, ministers in their children, ministers in your children. Listen, we need to get this 
Our children are more than what we realize. Everywhere that they go, they are ministers. And they need to know this from the youngest age. You know why I love this story and the reason why I bring it up? Because it doesn't say that this Samuel started serving God when he was 13, when he was 14, when he was 15. He started serving God when he was a baby. I don't know what we're waiting for. I don't, know what we're, I don't know what we're waiting on to believe that our kids are able to be used by God. I don't know what it is that we're waiting to, to think. I'm not talking about giving a church to a three-year-old. That isn't what happened. What I'm talking about is realizing that God is able to use our babies. The question is, what are we pouring into them? And when do we start pouring? When do we start praying with them? When do we start reading the word of God to them? When do we start encouraging them? You know, we, we see on, on YouTube, you know, different places like this. You know, you see these six, seven, eight-year-olds, you know, pro, I mean, these, these like ridiculous, you know, drummers, bass players and stuff like that. For most of us, you want me to tell you, and I talked to a, a guy, um, you know, that's, an, that's a phenomenal drummer about, you know, doing lessons for my son. And he was like, yeah, you got to wait until they're about six, you know, six, between six and eight is about the time that they really are able to start to comprehend that stuff. But can I tell you something? These kids that are playing like that, they put them on a drum kit when they were like three years old, the moment that they could hold a pair of drumsticks. And so, and, and look, I'm not trying to make my son be anything like that. But here's the point that I'm trying to make is that they didn't wait for someone to tell them, now my kid's ready in order to learn the thing that God wants them to learn. They didn't do that. And we see them and we're like, wow, and they get thousands of hits and thousands of likes and shared all over the place. You know, you see these kids that are quoting scripture. I love to see these little preachers, these little boys that, I mean, they're like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 years old in their little suit and they're getting up there and they grab my And God said, and they start preaching a message. They're talking about adultery. They don't even know what sex is. Hello. But the word of God is true. They're over here rebuking the church for being unholy, rebuking the church for not being righteous. The question is, do we really believe that God can use our kids and that our kids are ministers? And listen to me, I don't expect that every single kid on the planet or every single kid in this room or every single child represented in this room is going to be a preacher, going to be a teacher. But what I want you to realize is that every single one of them is a minister. And if you don't instill that in them from early on, if they don't understand that they are called to be light wherever they go, if they don't understand that they have an anointing on their life, if they don't understand that they have been separated from the womb, man, if they don't understand that, they're going to live like they're crazy. It's up to us to teach them. I'm so encouraged with, you know, with my sister Cheryl and having conversation with her. One of the, one of the, one of the most proud moments for her, you know, in her parenting is being able to lead her two kids to Jesus. She says, she shares that. And for me, it's like, man, how many of us even think about that? Like that moment when our kids come to that point where they trust Christ. But can I tell you something? As encouraging as, as I am in that, and I know that, you know, I'm not speaking this to her. That's not where it ends. That's a good starting place to where we continue to walk our kids and help them grow in the faith. So we as parents, you know, and moms in particular in this day, be part of that great process. And so my closing question is this, how has the gospel influenced your mothering? You know, as I preached, as I preached here, I'm sure some, some of you felt this condemnation. Like, man, I've been terrible. You know, I haven't instilled these things. You know, haven't been present enough, haven't prayed enough. You know, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God doesn't want to condemn you. God wants to call you. Maybe you need to repent. 
Maybe you need to say, man, I've been more concerned with my child getting an education than I have for them having an encounter with God. Maybe I've been more concerned with my kids acting good so I don't look bad in public instead of having them serve Jesus with all of their heart and all of their soul. Maybe I've been more, maybe, you know, maybe those are the things that, you know, that, that you're struggling with. And you know what? And God wants you to repent of those things and put things in order and in perspective. God wants, look, he wants us to do that. There's no question. The gospel shows us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when the gospel points that out to us, when we hear a message preached and there's that, you know, that, that, that conviction, that, that heavy feeling, that guilt that comes upon us, the beauty of it is, is that God doesn't leave us in our guilt. Jesus died for that guilt. Jesus died to liberate us from that guilt. So that way we can do what? So we could put our trust in him. So we could be saved from our sin. So we could have a relationship with him. And so we could live our lives for his glory. And every time, because we will, that we fall short, we can come back to that cross. And we can say, God, forgive me. Help me to be the mother that you've called me to be. How has the gospel influenced your parenting? Are you doing everything you can to make sure that your kids are crystal clear that they've been called by God. That's what the gospel encourages us to do. To let them know that Jesus died for them. To let them know that Jesus rose for them and that he wants them to walk with them. And so my prayer is that you would recognize that you are unique and everyone's situation is different. But God wants you to live according to the standards of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. I have one more video for you after I pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your grace. I thank you today for each person in this place, especially for the moms in this place. Holy Spirit, fill each of them with the grace to obey and honor your word in their lives with their parenting. I pray that you would be glorified, and I ask you this in Jesus' great name, amen.